Hebrews and chapter 9, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses to us. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was, was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of, of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people who had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption." The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Don't you love the book of Hebrews? It's in such simple, straightforward language, isn't it? You read a passage like that and think, what? So um, we're going to explore that a bit this morning. What was this elusive writer to the Hebrews talking about? And what has it got to do with us as we go on this journey, on this sermon series that we've been on from the last few weeks, beginning at creation and God bringing everything into being and finishing at the cross where Jesus dies for the sins of the whole world, which we'll be marking in a few weeks. Um, One of my favourite Christian authors, um, speakers and church planters is a guy called Pete Gregg, who many of you may have come across. And um, we, Anna and I, read uh, his latest book, Dirty Glory, uh, a couple of, it was last year actually, it was published a couple of years ago. And it's full of amazing stories of people who have encountered the glory and the presence of God in ordinary, everyday situations. And um, one of the stories that Pete tells in his book is a story um, concerning, it's an historical account actually, concerning uh, a group of American settlers in the 1800s. 
Between 1821 and 1880, about 300,000 of these American pioneers began a journey south to what was then known as Santa Fe in New Mexico. And um, stories had abounded of what this promised land of Santa Fe was like. And so these settlers are making this journey because there are rumours that the land is rich with cattle and fertile soil and there they will be able to make a life for themselves. About 700 miles short of Santa Fe, they stopped and set up camp. And um, they set up camp in a place which at the time was sort of the last bastion of civilization. It was before you got into bandit country. And they called that camp Blue Camp on account of its proximity to the Blue River. Blue Camp 20 was its title. So the pioneers settled there with a view to making that the staging post to them the next leg of their journey. The problem was that many of those 300,000 pioneers never moved beyond Blue Camp 20. They began to turn their camp into a more permanent settlement. The permanent settlement soon had businesses attached to it. And before you knew it, there was a permanent settlement and they named it Little Santa Fe. It's in uh, what's now Kansas City. And um, for many, they never ventured beyond Little Santa Fe. Little Santa Fe became like a small miniature version of the promised land that they were headed to but never arrived at. It became a shadow or a copy of the real thing. And in the Old Testament tradition, the Jewish tradition of the people of Israel, the writer to the Hebrews in what we've just read is explaining something to us that is somewhat akin to that reality. There's a tradition um, in the Jewish world called um, the festival of Yom Kippur. Once a year, um, in the Old Testament, the high priest of Israel would go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the Jewish temple, through the veil, from the outer courtyard, into the place where historically the Ark of the Covenant had been housed. It was the place that was thought to be the physical dwelling place of the power and glory of God. And on this, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would venture into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice on behalf of the whole people of Israel. Only he was allowed to do it and only once a year. And this sacrifice symbolised the unifying of God and his people. If you were here last week, you will have heard Kent talk about how following God's creation of the Garden of Eden and the beauty that God breathed into being in Genesis, humanity then rebelled against God. We disobeyed God. Our relationship with him became broken. Our world became broken. We ended up alienated from him. And ever since that point, God has been in the business of launching a rescue plan to bring us back. In fact, there is a way of reading the Old Testament as being almost entirely a a, a big story, if you like, a grand narrative of God's plan to intervene once again in human history and bring us back home, to bring us back home. 
The whole of the Old Testament is like one massive signpost which through the prophets and through the stories and through the traditions and the law and the rituals is pointing us towards the climax of the story which is Jesus nailed to a cross for the sin of the world. We're getting there in a couple of weeks time. The Old Testament is a bit like, if you're into musicals, it's a bit like the overture of a musical. Okay, if you've ever been to a West End musical, you have this long overture, and the overture gives you snippets of all the bits of music that are to come in the musical. Um, and it sets you up so you're ready for the climax of the story. And so you have a, an idea of the, the context and the background and your, your anticipation levels have been raised. And then you get there to the centre point. It's like a huge signpost. Let's have a look at verse 1 of that passage if you've got it open in front of you. This is what the writer says. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up and in some detail the writer then goes on to tell us exactly what this tabernacle looked like and all the wares that were used and how it appeared and we won't read that because uh, it uh, reads like a a bit of a shopping list. Skip on to verse 6. On verse 6, the writer says, When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. So once a year, we get this picture of the high priest going in. Verse 8. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way in to the most holy place was showing by this. Sorry, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration, the writer says, for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to cleanse the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. And the new order that the writer of the Hebrews is talking about is not a Star Wars film. The new order that he is writing about is the new thing that Jesus has brought in. He's saying all of this stuff that the the Israelite people did, going back for many, many generations, the practice of the Day of Atonement, of the high priest going into the Holy of Holies, the ceremonial washing, the animal sacrifices, all of this stuff was pointing you towards the real thing. These things in and of themselves didn't achieve anything. The sacrificing of goats and calves didn't in themselves cleanse us of our sin, but they were pointing us towards the thing that would. They were pointing us towards the cross of Jesus Christ. The sins of the people wouldn't be washed away by sacrificing the blood of a lamb. The sins of the people would be washed away by the blood of the lamb. The sins of the people wouldn't be atoned for by a human priest going into the temple. They'd be atoned for by the great high priest, which is what Hebrews calls Jesus, going into the presence of 
God. Jesus has done it. And in a few moments when we come to break bread together and to share in communion, which is the meal that Jesus gave his church to celebrate, that's what we're remembering. What Jesus did to open the way so that you and me can have a relationship with God. Direct access. I guess most of us will know the story of the prodigal son. This wayward son who takes his father's inheritance and he runs to a far off land and he squanders that inheritance on partying and gambling and women and he wakes up one morning to find that all of his money has gone and he is a disgrace and he is ruined and he says to himself, perhaps I'll go back to my father and he'll take me on as a servant. And so he begins this journey back home and his father who's been daily coming out and looking to the horizon to see if he can see him spots his son coming home and he hitches up his robes and he runs out to meet him embraces him puts a ring on his finger kills the fattened calf welcomes him home and says my son was dead but now he is alive that is what Jesus has done for us that's the rescue plan that God has launched allowing us to have a direct personal intimate relationship with God the Father because of Jesus. The way is open. We don't need human mediators or intermediaries anymore. Jesus has done it. So here's the thing. I wonder as Christians whether sometimes we settle for the signposts and we miss what the signposts are pointing us to. What do I mean by that? We settle so often in church for all the trappings of worship and church life and all the things that were just meant to point us towards Jesus. We become fixated upon those. All of our conversations are around what we do in church and churchy stuff. And the churchy stuff, if I can be crude and call it that, is only ever supposed to point us towards the cross of Jesus. The way is open. And I wonder if we will make a a decision as a church not to settle for little Santa Fe, not to stop at Blue Camp 20 and go, it's a bit like the real thing, maybe it'll do. Not to stop at the signposts that point us to Jesus, but to keep going and hold out for the real thing. Direct, personal, personal, intimate access to God.